welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you've given us such a a beautiful picture of your church, of your local church, in this whole um, truth of being a body and members of it. And we just pray, Lord, that just with the just amazing truth that you have here and the amazing reality you've given us, we pray, Lord, that we would fully live into it, that this morning as we look into this passage, that we would fully appreciate what you have for us here and that you would inspire us with what you have for us here, and that you would cause this to be lived more and more in our own lives. Lord, it is a difficult thing for us to do to think of ourselves this way, and it's often a difficult thing to to implement. But Lord, we know that you will do it in us by your Spirit, that your Son Jesus will live through us as we abide in him. And so we know, Lord, that this is a reality. This is something that can be done by the power of your Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do it. We pray that this morning would be just a, a step in the, the direction of truly living out this, this beautiful vision and that your Son Jesus would be displayed in the world because of it, that he would be exalted because of it, he would be glorified because of it. We pray, Lord, that all glory to him And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series this morning. Um, We're kind of finishing up a series on why we love the church. And we've seen that the church is Jesus' bride. The church is the family of God. The church is the pillar of the truth. And uh, we saw last week that the church is the temple of God. These are great reasons to love the church. And so this morning we're going to see that the church is the body of Christ. That's here in 1 Corinthians 12. 
So why do we love the church? We love the church because the church is Christ's body. And Paul gave this amazing truth to the Corinthians to heal some really deep divisions they had. You know, the Corinthians, have you guys read the letter to the Corinthians? It's about some really deep divisions. You might say like, oh yeah, no, I've seen church division. I've been in churches. And I just say, but have you? In the Corinthian church, they formed factions over their favorite preachers. That's in chapter 3. Members were literally suing each other in court, chapter 6. They were fighting in chapter 8 over what kinds of foods were okay to eat. They were even fighting with Paul in chapter 9. The, at communion, the richer members were getting drunk off the communion wine and leaving nothing for the poor people. Okay? And in chapter 12, we see that they were feeling superior to one another over their gifts and despising one another. So you may have seen some church division in your time, but this is pretty epic. Okay? And so as Paul is dealing with the division in this church, he's seeing just a tremendous mess. I mean, would you guys go to this church? Anyone? And be like, I'll, I'll check it out, you know, a couple Sundays, see how it goes. Well, the, the reality is if you lived in Corinth during that time, you'd have no other choice. That was, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, the church of God in Corinth. And Paul addresses it. You can tell that Paul still loves the church. And to address these divisions, he brings out the theological big guns. And the theological big guns is he wants to show them that though they're very divided right now, they have a common union in Christ. Take a look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So what he does, this very divided group of people, is to show them that the church is the body of Christ. And this is a common metaphor in our day, talking about a group of people as being a body. Um, it was a common metaphor back then. You know, a city-state might be a body of people, a body politic, something like that. But Paul is actually not using the body here technically as a metaphor. He's saying they actually are a body. They actually are a body. And what's interesting is he's not just saying they're a body of believers. That would be one thing. He's saying they're the body of Christ, He's saying they're the body of Christ. Take a look at verse 12 again. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. There's an interesting thing that happens in that verse. Look at it again. It says, though the body is one and there's many members, and though there are many, there are one, so it is with, what would you expect him to say next? So it is with the church, is what you'd expect him to say. But what does he say? So it is with Christ. The church is Christ's body on earth. Christ has a body in heaven, a physical body. He's resurrected and then he ascended into heaven. He's reigning physically in heaven, but he has a spiritual body on earth. So why do we love the church? We love the church because the church is Christ's body. And you might say, well, how can this be? How can we be so identified with Christ as to be called his body? And the answer we have here is the Holy Spirit makes us the one body of Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, there was some point in your life when you came to trust in Jesus Christ, and at that same time, 
the Holy Spirit united you to Christ. Take a look at verse 13. It says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. There's a great image there of baptism. So when you came to, to put your trust in Jesus Christ, what happened at that same time was that you were baptized into Christ. The Holy Spirit took you and somehow kind of submerged you into Christ himself, as if to submerge a piece of cloth into a bunch of dye, so that you became in Christ, permanently bound to Christ. He became the one that you're in, forever treated by God as if you are Christ because you've been immersed in him by the Holy Spirit. But that's not all. Take a look at verse 13. At the end, it says, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So not only did the Holy Spirit immerse us in Christ so that we're now in Christ, we're seen as in him by God, but he also had, the Holy Spirit had Christ come into us. It says we drank of one spirit, that the Holy Spirit came into your body such that Christ is forever in you. So you have an external, internal thing, right? You have that you're in Christ, but also that Christ is in you. You're immersed in him, but he's also infused into you. So that around and within you, you are a part of Jesus's spiritual body, immersed in him and filled with him. And your union with Christ through the Holy Spirit is real. And I think it's really important for you to think about this. This is not just like, symbolic language that, you know, hey, think of it this way. This really happened. You are truly, if you're a Christian, united to Christ because the Holy Spirit is a real person and he's the one that unites you. The Holy Spirit within you, the Holy Spirit with Christ in heaven, such that you're united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. That union is more real than anything you can see in this room. That union is more real than anything you can see in this room because God is more real than anything you can see in this room. And it is the Holy Spirit, God himself, that unites you to Christ. And here's the thing, guys. The Holy Spirit who unites you to Christ has also done that with every other Christian. So that in all of our unions with Christ through the Holy Spirit, we are one body. We're one body because we're all united with Christ by the Holy Spirit. I have a diagram. I don't know if it's helpful. We'll see. I made this myself. Okay, I didn't steal this. I know you guys are like, where does he steal these? Or you might think like, can we afford the media department that's making these? Can we even afford diagrams like this? I don't know. So I made this. So this is just to illustrate your union with Christ. So there's the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what happens when you come to trust in Jesus Christ is by faith you get united to the Son, to Christ, through the Spirit. So the Spirit unites you to Christ. You've got this union. And the thing is, next slide, he's doing that to all the other believers in this room, right? I know, this is crazy. And so we're all united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And then next slide, because we're all united, this is the communion of saints. That you all are united to one another by the Holy Spirit because you're all united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what we call like in the Apostles' Creed. And it says, I believe in the communion of the saints. That's the communion of saints that we have all a union with Christ by the Spirit, if you're a believer, and that that union is a union we all share. It's a co-union. It's a communion of the saints. All believers around the world, all throughout history, were bound together by the Holy Spirit because we're all bound to Christ by the Spirit. And that's why Paul can use that shocking uh, shorthand in verse 12 when he says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, that we're united in him together. So why do we love the church? We love the church because the church is Christ's body, his spiritual body on earth. 
And by the way, that is the only solution to our culture's divisions. Our culture's divisions over race and class and all these things are only actually solved by union with Christ. You can see that in verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free. All were made to drink of one spirit. This is the only solution. We think about our culture, so divided, so polarized, seems to get worse every year. The only real solution to the disunity, not just in the church, but in the world, is union with Christ. This is the actual only solution. We see it in the first century. He's bringing this up because that was happening in Corinth. You had Jews and Gentiles, natural enemies, people that hated each other vigorously. And yet, because they were in Christ together, they were one. Or you have slaves and free, different levels of societal class that would be naturally have nothing to do with each other, but they were united as one. Union with Christ is the only solution to all of our divisions. And I know that for a fact because I've seen the future. The future is in Revelation 7. And this is what it says. After this, I looked and behold a multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne forever. We know that Christ is the one who will unite all races, all classes, all divisions, and heal them all because we can actually see the future in Revelation 7. This is going to happen. And guys, any other thing is a band-aid. Any other thing won't last. Union with Christ is the only thing that brings people together forever. Union with Christ is the only thing that heals the divisions here. Union with Christ is the only thing that heals the divisions in your marriage, in your family. Why do we love the church? Because the church is Christ's body, right? So that's a reality. That's something you have. If you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Christ, maybe you've been Christian for just a few days, a few weeks, a few years, that's a reality. You are members, like that diagram, that wonderful diagram, you are members of Christ no matter what. But guys, that has to be lived out, as we read 1 Corinthians 12, that has to be lived out as a member of a particular body. Okay? There's Christ's body, but that image of being you know, organs in a body has to be lived out in a local body. It's by actually committing your life to a group of Christians that you can actually live out that body life together. To live though many as one, as verse 14 says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We've been talking lately about church membership. Church membership being that we have a tool. It's not, you're not biblically required to sign a card or something like that, but it's a tool that we're using to kind of assess who are we going to say is our list of members. And it's super important to have such a list because you want to know who wants to be accountable. You know, if you have a situation where, you know, have a situation where, you know, somebody's seeking a biblical divorce, for example, or somebody's kind of walking away from the faith, is that a person we should pursue or not? We know because they've signed up to be pursued, right? Because you could have people, you get people that are visitors, you get people that are attenders, regular attenders, but they've never really committed to say, hey, if my life goes off the rails, if I start denying Christ, if I start living in such a way that's totally incompatible with, with my profession, I want you to go after me. And that's what you're saying when you say that you want to be a member of a church. It also helps us as elders to know who are we accountable for. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before or not, but in uh, Hebrews 13, it talks about that there's the elders of the church have to give an account to Christ for the people in their church. 
So there's coming a time when I will stand before Christ in the final day and specifically give an account for the people that were under our care as elders. Gabe will be there too. Josh will be there too. Any elders we add will be there too. And we will actually have to give an account for the souls that have been entrusted to us. It would be super helpful to know who those souls are. Wouldn't it? Doesn't that seem reasonable? If we're going to put ourselves out for that, it'd be great for us to know who the list of souls are, right? And that doesn't include just every attender. That includes people that have really actually said, hey, yes, I want to be one of those souls that you're going to give an account for. I mean, that's a terrifying thing, right? You think like, well, who would sign up for that? Like, who would sign up to be a pastor to do that? We're compelled to do it, okay? So it's like, it's this thing. It's quite terrifying. But it's a little less terrifying if we know who the people are. It helps. So, and it also helps to know, you know, real clearly who the members are because it helps you guys to know who you're in charge of caring for. Because as this passage talks about, the church is a body, it's a bunch of organs, it's a bunch of members that care for one another, and it helps you to know, you know? Because it's always awkward for one of you guys if, you know, somebody kind of disappears and you call them and you try and see where they're at and see how they're doing and maybe something's happening, and they go like, oh yeah, I don't go there. You know, I don't, I don't go to your church. And you're like, oh, okay, no, that's cool. No, I didn't think so. You know, yeah, no, that's, that's fine. You know, it's, it's super awkward because you don't really know. You don't know if somebody's been going for a while, whether they're really considering it their church family. So we're asking you guys to, to sign up, old-timers too. But when you sign up for the church, to be a member of the church, it's not like a club. It's not like a gym. It's not like becoming a member of the zoo, okay? Although there's some things that are similar. It's, it, according to this passage, it's, it's signing up, it's, it's declaring that you want to be a body part, an organ in a body. And Paul takes it a step further here. He says, if the church is the body of Christ, then each of us has been designed by God to be an organ in that body. And, and this whole metaphor helps a ton to think of ourselves as organs in a body because Paul addresses two types of people here. He says, there's some people that feel like they don't have anything to offer the church. They don't have anything to offer the church, and, and he answers that, that in the first section. And then there's people that are in the church that think certain people don't have anything to offer them, okay? Both of these things happen in the body. To believers who think they have nothing to offer the church, Paul says real clearly, that's actually impossible because you're an organ of the body. Take a look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So in the Corinthian church, there were certain people, and maybe this is you, there were certain people that thought, I just don't really have much to offer. You know, they weren't really invested in, into the life of the body because they didn't really feel like they had anything to offer. And in the Corinthian church, this would have been the people that were probably poorer because there were like big differences in class in this church or the people that had less flashy spiritual gifts. So people like that would think of themselves as they don't have much to offer. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like, you know, like, I'm here, I don't really feel like anyone needs me, I don't feel like I can be of much help. And what Paul wants to say to you this morning is, it's actually impossible that you would not be necessary because you're an organ of the body, right? And I don't know about you, but 
you know, you don't just go taking organs out of your body randomly because you assume they're all needed. And what Paul's saying here is he's saying that because you're an organ of the body, you're needed. God has made you an organ, and the church is a body. Now, of course, it's possible for Christians, and many of us have done it, to live as like a disembodied organ. Okay, there's going to be a lot of organs in this, just so you know. So there's like a table, and you just put a liver there. Okay, it's possible to live as a disembodied organ, and the culture is discipling us to live that way. You guys may have noticed this, but our culture is actually discipling us. Gabe was talking about how it disciples us. Our culture is actually discipling us in thousands of ways not to think of ourselves as a part of any body, to be a separate organ, right? We live in a disembodied age. It's, a, it's an age that's isolated, consumeristic, digital, right? People watch movies alone. They shop alone. They eat alone. They socialize alone, which is super weird how that could be pulled off, but we actually socialize alone. And of course, the pandemic's accelerated that discipleship plan. And it is a discipleship plan. It is that the culture is discipling you to think of yourself so individualistically that the idea of you being an organ in a local body of the church is like just an impossible thought. And, and that's a discipleship thing. And it now seems like a lot of people think that they can do church alone too, right? You get your teaching alone. You get your worship music alone. You pray alone, right? This is part of the discipleship program. And some churches have decided to join the culture's discipleship program and actually offer church alone. Say, well, people want to be alone. You know, they don't really want to do this thing. It's awkward. And so let's just give them the church alone. The thing is, you can't have the church alone. By definition, it's a body, right? I love the image there. He goes, like, what if the whole body was an eye? This is, like, terrifying, right? Like, we are like that liver that I set here before you. We're like a monstrosity by ourselves, right? An eye by itself is, is a really creepy thing. And that's what we become, guys. As we live disembodied apart from the church, we change. And we get real weird. And some of you guys know people like that. You'll talk to a Christian and you start hearing their theology and you start hearing like what they're thinking. And you're like, how long have you been alone? Like, you've gotten real strange, right? Because we're all a little strange, but we get together and other Christians will be like, bro, that's strange. That's not in the Bible. And we're like, oh, it's not in the Bible. No, it's very helpful to be a part of the body, right? But if you're that organ disembodied, if you're just that eye out there, you know, like all red in the eye, just a big eye by yourself, we become monstrosities, right? And so the culture is discipling us to do that. It's discipling us to to want to be alone. And we can know that we've been fully discipled by the culture and this kind of religion of individualism when we have all the right answers for why we're doing it, right? Because this religion of individualism, it has a whole apologetics department. Like you learn all the good reasons to defend your lifestyle, reasons that aren't the real reasons. You know, people are like, hey, what church do you go to? Oh, I don't really go to one. Oh, why is that? Just haven't found one. Been looking. Since when? The 80s? You should have been able to find one by now. You know? Right? Or, I'm just real busy right now. You know, I'm just real busy. Or, you know, it's just not the right season of my life right now. Or, I'm an introvert. I'm always like, well, congratulations. Like, half the population. You know, you, you act like you have some rare disease. I'm an introvert, too. I'm not on Sunday, for which I have to recover. 
<laughs> but so am I. It's like, introvert's not like free pass. Paul's not like, uh, you know, specifically an organ in the body. And I'm an introvert. He's like, oh, okay, not you, you know. Or I'm not a morning person. Or I'm just really tired. That's how you can see that that discipleship program's totally worked. It's it, you're a lone disembodied organ. So, but to become an active member of the church, according to this passage, is to join it as an organ joins a body. So here you are, a kidney. You know, God's made you a kidney, and you're put in the body, and you're connected to the the vein and the artery and the ureter. You know, and you start just like happily filtering the blood. It's what you're meant to do when you're in the body. You're just doing your filtering, right? Or you're an eye, you know, and you get plugged into a particular body and suddenly you're giving sight to the whole body and the body's like, oh, this is great. We couldn't see before. Or you're a pancreas, you know, and you get plugged in and you just happily start just churning out insulin. And we're like, thank you. We needed that. You know, we've had a lot of donuts this morning. But the Spirit does this. He gives each believer a, a spiritual gift. He gives each believer some capacity. Take a look at a couple verses up to verse 4. This is a really beautiful passage, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all. And so this is, as you're an organ functioning within this local body of the church, there's certain activities, there's certain service, there's certain gifts you've been given. Look at verse 7. To each, each of you who are a believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's actually a perfect definition of spiritual gifts. It's actually a verse that defines what is a spiritual gift. It is a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Have you ever thought about it that way? That God has given you, as you gather with his people, a manifestation of the Spirit for the good of the rest of us. That's what we should be thinking as we're on our way to church, as we're driving here. We should be thinking like, God, please give me a manifestation of the Spirit for these people. And we should be praying, Lord, have these people give me a manifestation of the Spirit. I'm coming because I want a manifestation of the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? That's what a spiritual gift is. It's, it's God giving that. And then on the way home, we would just pray and we'd be like, Lord, thank you for manifesting your spirit through me to that person. When I was talking to them, I really felt like something was happening there and I know that was you. Or on the other side, Lord, thank you so much for that manifestation of the spirit. I can think of this person and that person where I really felt like you were speaking to me and I know that was you. That's a, a spirit-filled body with spirit-filled organs. And it's through that full range of spiritual gifts, guys, the Spirit causes the world to see Christ. You know, thinking back to the eye, you out there is like this gigantic eye, not super attractive, not really showing Christ the way that you would as if you were plugged into a whole body. When the body comes together, we, we display Christ in a way we can never display alone. Certainly you display Christ alone, but there's a way in which we display him together. Years ago, I was doing, we were doing a craft in children's that really moved me, and it was really helpful, is we took a picture of Jesus, not an actual one, and uh, we cut it up into a bunch of little pieces to make it like a jigsaw puzzle, but we made the pieces small enough to where you really couldn't tell what we were doing, you know, we didn't want the kids to know. Uh, you could see an eye, or you could see little parts, a little bit of beard, or something like that, you know, maybe an ear, right? And, and we asked them what it was, and they were like, I, I'm not really sure what this is a puzzle of, they're not really... They don't really know. And we kind of made the point of like, yeah, because really what we're going to do when we put these together is we're going to show a picture that you can't see otherwise. And these puzzle pieces, they're you. 
And then we assembled it, and the kids were like, okay, it's Jesus, you know, and we told them that this is what the local church is like. Each person with their own gifts, with their own service, as we come together as one body, we display Christ in a special way. We display him in a way we couldn't otherwise, because the church is the body of Christ, right? As we live interdependent, as we use our gifts, as we benefit from one another, and as we do the things the Spirit has for us to do, we display Christ. And God has designed the church to do this. Take a look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So why do we love the church? Because it's Christ's body. So the, the first temptation was kind of, hey, the body doesn't really need me. I don't have anything to offer. And Paul says, like, that's ridiculous because you're an organ. So the body definitely needs all its organs. The second one is a different kind of temptation. This would be believers that think that certain members in the church, certain people in this room are unnecessary to them. Or maybe they're more trouble than they're worth, right? And, and Paul answers that question the same way. He says, that's impossible that they would be unnecessary for you because they are organs in the body. Take a ver- look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So the error here is thinking that some believers, some people in this room are more trouble than they're worth. I don't need them. Now the Corinthian Christians that would be predisposed to think about this would be the richer people, the people that were more socially connected, and the ones with flashier spiritual gifts. They were really certain how the body needed them, right? Like, it's obvious, it's obvious how I'm needed by the body. And, but they would judge others in the body as being unnecessary to church life. And this really fit the way they thought societally because in that culture, in Corinth, in that time, you were always looking for the person that could move you up. You attach yourself to somebody that can benefit you, that can move you up the social ladder, that can make you more successful. And the error here was people thinking that there were certain people in the church that just weren't worth it. He describes them. Take a look at verse 22. He gives a few descriptions of what these people, that some would think were not necessary to the body. He describes them here. Verse 22, he says they're the weaker parts of the body. You know, they would look around and these would be people that tend to need more help. They tend to, you know, their weakness shows really clearly. And, you know, maybe we just don't need that weaker part. He says in verse 23 that they were the people that were less honorable. Okay, these are people that would have lower social standing. And, And some of them were tempted to think like, we don't really need these kind of you know, lower social standing, less honorable people. And then in verse 23, he says they're the unpresentable body parts. So you have the weak body parts, the less honorable body parts, and then he gets a little weird here, and he says the unpresentable body parts, okay? Taking the body image further than we'd like Paul to take it, he's describing some parts of the body as the private parts of the body. These are the members of the body, the parts of the body that perhaps make you uncomfortable, right? There are members of the body that you're not really sure what to do with, okay? These are members of the body who make you feel awkward. I'm sure you'll find a way to use this. To those people, to people who thought that these people were unnecessary parts of the body, Paul says it's impossible. They're valuable organs. Take a look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. 
And on our unpresentable parts, we treat them with greater modesty, which our more presentable body parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may, be, may have the same care for one another. And so he's saying, like, any member of the body that you're tempted to think, this is a person I want to avoid, this is a person I don't need, this is a person I want to keep at arm's distance, this is a person I just wish wasn't here. He's saying to those parts of the body are valuable organs. And just like you probably would never just start randomly removing organs from your body, you should never even mentally remove these people from this body, right? These are needed organs. We've got to trust God, he says, that God's design, just like you trust him that every part of your, your physical body is necessary, you've got to trust God that every part of this body that he's chosen, he's chosen the people that are in the body with you, are absolutely necessary. And so what do we do? What do we do with members that are weaker, less honorable, or unpresentable? Verse 21 says that we give them more honor. Isn't that interesting? He uses this example of unpresentable body parts. He's talking about private body parts. And he's saying what we do with those is we cover them with clothes, and it's actually a way of giving them more honor. And he's saying in the church, when you come across people that you think of as weak or dishonorable or, or you know, unpresentable, those are people that you want to give even more honor to. Okay? That you want to zero in on those people. You want to get closer to those people, and you want to give them more honor. You don't distance yourself from those people. You give them more honor. God gives the gift of weaker, unpresentable members in the church to be an opportunity for us to practice love and patience. They're totally necessary. Every single person God puts in the body is totally necessary. And here's the thing. We're all going to take turns being the unpresentable part. Aren't we? I mean, we don't want to. But chances are you'll have your turn. You'll have your turn to be the weaker part, the dishonorable part, or the unpresentable part. And what God is doing in his bodies is giving the rest of us an opportunity to practice love and service. And one thing you'll find about people that are in the body that maybe are not the kind of people that you would want to socialize with outside the church is that God has often hidden the treasures of Christ in those people. You're going to find the treasures of Christ in those people because they are a part of Christ's body. And this is, a, this is a test for us, right? It's a test for us when there's people in the body that are people that you would have a very difficult time with. It's a test for us to really see if we believe this truth that the church is the body of Christ and that they're a part of the body of Christ. Even the most difficult to love are members of the body, he says. Let me read it again. He says, but God has composed the body, this is verse 24, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have, listen to this, may have the same care for one another. That would be ideal. That's what we want to see. Same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. And if one member is honored, we all are honored. You know, it's a test. It's a test of whether you really believe that the church is the body of Christ and that each member is a part of Christ, each member being a vital organ in the body. And when you believe that, you treat them, look at verse 24, I love how it says, with the same care. This is a convicting thing, right? Think about that. Think about whether you are giving the same honor and care to everyone in the body. 
It's a great test. You could start by learning their names, right? That's, we're doing Name Tag Sunday. This is actually for a reason. It's amazing to me how we can often worship in a room this size, very small room, for years and not know other people's names, you know? That would be a great place to start, right? You know their names. You could pray for them. Um, there's other ways you could get to know them. You could show them honor. But we love every member like they are Christ when we give them the same care. And their suffering is our suffering, and their joy is our joy. And the reason why their suffering is our suffering and their joy is our joy is because we share the same spiritual nervous system, right? We're really a body. We share the same spiritual nervous system. There's this thing in veterinary medicine. I'm a veterinarian. I'm a horse vet. I'm going to give you a dog example. That doesn't mean I'm going to treat your dogs because I'm not. Horses only. So with dogs, they get a spinal cord injury. There's... There's a very crude test. I don't know if they do it in human medicine. Probably not because it sounds terrible. But take the dog and you grab some hemostats, which are like pliers, and you put it between their toes and you clamp it. And the reason you do it is to see if they have deep pain. If they don't experience deep pain from that, then they have a very serious spinal cord injury, right? Very poor prognosis, right? That's called a deep pain test. And they should feel it. If they have a healthy attachment between their head and their legs via the spinal cord, they should feel that. Just like if I stab you in the arm, you know, with a needle, <laughs> which I'll do later, we would know you have a healthy connection between your arm and your head. Your neighbor doesn't feel it because they have no shared connection. Here's the deep pain test for us. Think about this. Can you write down several names outside your family in this church that this year you felt their pain? That's how you know you're a body, right? That's how you know you're a healthy part of the body is that when there's pain, their joy is your joy, their pain is your pain. But are there multiple people in this room that you have this year felt their pain? Do you have spiritual nerve endings in the other people in this body? Man, this is a lot different, guys, than just having church be an event you go to or a business or something like that. This is a body. This is an organization. It's an organism. And if their pain registers in your soul, if you have spiritual nerve endings in other people in this church, that's good. That's what we're supposed to have. He says, if one member suffers, we all suffer. It shows that you've truly, you know, living as an organ in this body. And one thing that's impressed me, guys, this year about you guys is that you guys tend to move towards the pain, which is amazing. Because the natural thing is pain is uncomfortable by definition, and when we see somebody else in pain, our natural inclination is to move away. Be like, didn't see it, right? And to move away. What's really beautiful about the body of Christ, what's really beautiful about you guys as the body of Christ, is that you guys obviously move towards the pain. You move towards the pain, you move towards the person in pain because, because you're one body with them. It's so evident and it's super beautiful. I just want to make sure you guys know that so many of you I've seen past the pain test, the deep pain test. You, you, you feel it, just like Christ does for us. Why do we love the church? Because the church is Christ's body. Every member is a vital part. Now, this might feel a little daunting. Does this feel daunting to you? If this is what it means to be the church together, if this is what it means to be members of one body, to some of you, this is going to feel really daunting. You're going to be like, this seems like a huge commitment, and it is. And you might say, this seems impossible. And it is. Because if you were to really live like this, you would be living Jesus' life. 
for one another, right? And that's not something we can do. What, what does Jesus say? How is Jesus a perfect picture of this? Let's think about how this kind of life would have to be Jesus' life, which we have, by the way. We don't have it within ourselves, but we can have his life through us. Let's think about how his life really models this. Consider how Jesus did not isolate himself from us, but united himself to us. Think about Jesus. Think about his before the incarnation, the son's unique glory, you know, in heaven, ruling, and that he would sacrifice himself, that he would leave his glorious home to unite himself to people he has nothing in common with. Isn't that amazing? Think of how he left his glorious home and his comforts, and he became united with us by becoming a real human being. This is the crazy thing. So the Son of God, who never had a body before the incarnation, now forever has a body because he's united himself to us. Isn't that amazing? You think, like, how can this even be that, that the Son of God never had a body before the incarnation and now permanently has a body? It says in Colossians that, that all the fullness of God, present tense, dwells in bodily form in heaven, that he still is bound to us as a human. Think of the way he united himself to our sin and, and bore it on the cross, that he didn't isolate himself but united with us such that he took our sin upon himself and bore it on the cross. Think of how Jesus united himself to our poverty, that because he's united himself to us, we have all of his riches, all of his righteousness. And even now, guys, Jesus is united to us in worship. You know, as Josh was sharing from the Psalms this morning, that he worships among us, and he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That he, Jesus is united with us in that way. Jesus has beautifully said yes to living as one body with us. Consider how Jesus does not exclude us, even though we are very often weak and unpresentable. Any of you? Any of you often weak and unpresentable? Right, okay, good. Some of them are raising their hands. That's good, that's good. Yeah, Jesus does not exclude us, who are his, his people, united to him. He does not exclude us, even when we are weak and unpresentable. Even now as our high priest, Jesus never says to us in our weakness and unpresentableness, I have no need of you. He never says that. Isn't that amazing? You know, we, we sin, we fall into the same sin, we keep bringing that sin to him, we keep confessing our sin. There's never a moment where Jesus says, I have no need of you anymore. Isn't that amazing? Even though he does have no need of us. Do you realize that? He literally has no need of us. And yet he never says, I have no need of you, because he has made us a part of his own body. He is united to us and will never give us up. We, being the most unpresentable parts, have been given the great honor of being a part of his glorious body. Consider how Jesus has passed the pain test, right? Think about the pain test. Has Jesus passed the pain test that he's united with us? Yes, Jesus doesn't just suffer with us, he has suffered for us. It says in Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. And not just the ones we experience in life, but, but the suffering that we deserve because of our sin. On the cross, Jesus took all our sufferings that we deserve and gives us all his joys. And what's really great about this life of Jesus, when we think about like, okay, church membership, that seems daunting. These seem overwhelming. This seems like something we can't do, and we can't, but Jesus has. And not only does his life motivate us, it goes further than that. His life actually fills us. Remember, we're united to Christ by the Spirit. 
And so that life that we just rejoice in, Jesus' life and how he united with us and cares for us, that life flows through us. Because we can't live a 1 Corinthians 12 vision of the church, but he can, and he does. He does, guys. And it's happening right in front of you all the time. You're actually seeing him do it. His life through his people all the time. There's nothing I described in this passage that I have not seen you all do many times. It's the life of the church. This is how the church works. People ask, like, okay, well, how does this work? How do you guys do this? Because you guys know we don't have any full-time staff or anything, right? So, like, how does this work? How does this happen? You know, how do you guys do this? We don't do this. Jesus does this through us, through the, all the members, all the body parts of his church. The Spirit is causing the life of Jesus to be lived out through his members. That's what's happening. This is a life. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. This is Christ's life flowing through his people. Verse 27 says, For you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so I would just plead with you, give yourself to his people. Like fully give yourself to his people. Turn your back on the discipleship of the culture. Turn your back on individualism. Take your part as an organ in the body. And the joy of that's going to be extreme because we always love that feeling of the Spirit working through us. We always love that, that feeling of being close to the Lord. And as we're in His body and we're functioning the way we should, we're going to enjoy Him more. He's really united us to the Spirit. And what's amazing is you think like about, okay, well, how do I, how do I plug in? And, you know, there's some complications to that, of course, socially to try and push yourself to do that. But what's really cool is that that connecting into the body, the wiring's already there. The Holy Spirit. Like, he's already already made all the connections. It's for us to live into him. And then the power comes because we're connected to Christ. We're united to Christ. We have his life. And I just say, seek each other and seek him in that. And let's pray. Father, we're, um, we don't even understand the glory of what you've given us. And uh, I just confess, Lord, so many times I've had such a low view of the church and not thought of it as the body of Christ and not thought of the great gift you've given us in it. An opportunity to function as, as parts, as organs, as members of your body. An opportunity to be blessed by you through other people and to be a blessing. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in the way you should be by the body of Christ on earth. Lord, dear people, our failures at this are, are many and are obvious for the world to see. And yet we believe you about what this is. And Lord, we're going to give ourselves to you in this way. And we pray that you'd bless it. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.